you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Hi there, and welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. I am your host, Janine Garner, and it's an absolute pleasure to have you joining us again online. Today, I am recording from a very sunny Sydney, and I'm very excited to bring you this latest episode. So welcome back, those of you that have become regular listeners of this Unleashing Brilliance podcast and a big high virtual welcome to those of you that are checking this out for the first time. Now today's guest, oh my goodness, there are some people that you uh, you finally meet in life that have been part of your world for a number of years. And this is today's guest, uh, Dr. Kirsten Ferguson. And I have probably uh, been following in each other's circles for a number of years now on the keynote circuit. I have followed her writing We have similar connections here in Australia, and I have been an avid consumer of her content. Her story is remarkable, and her learnings through her life experience are just fabulous in terms of the passion that she has for diversity, for building uh, more women into the workplace and actually for leadership. Uh, Dr. Kirsten Ferguson is a professional company director, keynote speaker and author. She sits on a number of ASX listed and private company boards and she's also the deputy chair of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. She actually began her career at the Australian Defence Force Academy where she became an Air Force officer and as you can appreciate she's got some um, incredible stories to share from her time there, stories that have absolutely shaped uh, the person, the incredible person that Kirsten has become. From the Air Force, she went on to study law and worked as a senior executive in a corporate law firm before becoming the CEO of a global safety consulting firm. As well as an honours degree in law and history, she also has a PhD in leadership. And Kirsten was the creator of the Walkley-nominated Celebrating Women campaign in 2017 and the author of the award-winning book Womenkind, which she co-authored with the equally fabulous Catherine Fox. So... Make sure you're set in and ready for what is a wonderfully fascinating insight into the life, the learnings and the leadership that is Dr. Kirsten Ferguson. Welcome, Kirsten. It's fabulous to have you on the show today. How are you this morning or this afternoon now? Uh, I'm really well. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me to come and join you and to um, have a chat. And, you know, there's such turbulent times. It's lovely to just carve out and a bit of time for us to calmly talk about, uh, you know, what's going on in the world. <laughs> I know. So it is crazy. As you just said offline, though, we've got to try and find 
uh, some light in it all. Otherwise, we uh, we end up in a negative spiral. So uh, the challenge for all of us. Now, you have such a wonderful, colourful background and the work that you're doing right now. Um, let's let's try and start at the be- very beginning. Where Can you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up, Kirsten? Yeah, I mean, I was the cliched young woman who thought she could do anything. And I'm in my year 12 yearbook, I wanted to be the first female prime minister. So, wow. I mean, that was an aspiration. Um, putting that to one side, I wanted to be a lawyer and I wanted to join the Navy. I always had different things that I thought I wanted to do. And ironically, other than becoming the first female prime minister um, in Australia, I pretty much, you know, achieved a lot of what I would set out and hoped to do, which I feel really fortunate to have done. That's so, yeah, so good. So what was one of the first things that you you managed to tick off on that that list of yours? Well, I had been at a girls' school in Sydney and had a massive culture change and joined the military at the age of 17. So I went off to the Australian Defence Force Academy. I didn't join the Navy in the end. I went to the Air Force, which I loved, and spent four years at ADFA um, during the early 1990s and became an Air Force officer after my training there. And, I mean, I was really fortunate that I had an, an excellence of experience at ADFA and ended up doing very well and graduated ducks of my Air Force graduating class of men and women. But I was there all through the period of time that was really quite difficult for women and has been a period of um, much sort of consideration and review and um, action by the military to really overhaul how they, they treat women. What did you learn about yourself during that period, Kirsten? Well, I learned some helpful and unhelpful things. So because I did really well, I learned that it was uh, the key to my success was to hope no one noticed my gender at all. So, you know, I think I learned to fit in. I learned to become, you know, and adapt to the culture that you're in. And I really uh, would run from any talk about being a female leader or a female this or that or women's events, you know, for uh, fear of being branded that difficult woman. Um, And that stuck with me for a long time and I was very successful by following that theory and it's taken me some decades to realise it's certainly not the right way to go about it, regardless of what success it might bring. So I learnt... um, a lot about how to lead uh, and I ended up leading people you know when I was in the Air Force I was only 21 when I had my first um, leadership role and mm. I was leading men who'd been in the military longer than I'd been alive so you know there were some really amazing experiences so I think um, I learned a lot about myself I met my husband I'm a walking cliche I was single and 21 and I clearly watched Top Gun too many times <laughs> And ended up at an F-111 squadron uh, where he was um, part of the air crew there and, you know, 25-odd years later we're still married, (laughs) happily so. Um, So it was an amazing formative period of my life um, and a wonderful experience. When you mentioned there, I learned how to lead. I'm curious, what what specific bits of leadership did did you learn? And I suppose with that, what did you learn not to do as well? Yeah, well, I think 
people misunderstand um, military leadership as being, you know, what they see in movies like Platoon or something where it's very command and control and yelling at each other. And, in fact, that's not it at all. And what I learned was that unless you earned the respect of the often men that followed you, they would not be there behind you in the, when you really needed them. And obviously it can be a life and death issue in the military, but, you know, much more broadly just in trying to bring people along with whatever it is um, you wanted to introduce or change you wanted to make. And so uh, it became almost a type of humble leadership for me, a, a servant leadership. And I know that sounds really peculiar because it's such a hierarchical system. But I think what it taught me at a very young age is that the people I were leading had enormous contributions to make and in most cases knew a lot more than I knew. Mm. And so being able to value that and understand that the buck still stopped with you, I was still the one making the decisions, but I was very much um, learning about emotional intelligence through that period as well. And that's certainly become a hallmark of what I think is absolutely critical for any leader to understand and to be self-aware about in themselves and you talked about the uh the turbulent times in the in the forces we did you experience that yourself oh I think it was impossible to be um, a woman at ADFA at that time in particular and not know and see and experience what was going on for women but you know, I talk now about the fact, um, even though it wasn't even unconscious bias, I mean, this was just overt, ingrained uh, misogyny in a lot of cases, uh, I didn't recognise it. I think I became so um, naive as to what was going on and I was somewhat in denial. I didn't have, wouldn't have had the words for it anyway and uh, I just learnt to adapt and to fit in. But I can, you know, look back now and really easily recognize uh, what was happening and I think it's taught me a lot since then about um, some of those areas that you need to look out for especially to support other women and to stand up for others that you might see um, are experiencing a difficult time. Can you share a bit more about those areas I love you know love you to share that the areas to look out for. I think um, it's always easy to advocate for others. And so mm. uh, I have for a long time, you know, probably since leaving ADRA, you know, I don't know that I was as um, awake to those flags when I was in the system, but as soon as you're out of the system, uh, it's easy to see them. And so it might be that I would see and observe um, someone not being given the same opportunities as another person. It's not always a gender issue. It could mm. be on a whole range of um, different reasons, whether age or ethnicity or disability or um, whatever it might be. And as a leader, I think we need to be really mindful and looking for those situations and making sure that we're doing everything we can to repair them. Um, but I, even when I left the military, I went into law firms and I then you know, was pursuing my goal to become a lawyer and I ended up doing law and got admitted and I was at a corporate law firm but in some executive roles. And I would notice that um, this is in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, that women weren't being made partner you know, nearly as often as men, if at all. And often I'd hear the excuse that, oh, you know, they've just gone on maternity leave and so, you know, we can't make them a partner or 
they've just come back from maternity leave, whatever it might be. And at that point, I was really quite oblivious again to these systemic issues around gender in particular. And I would think to myself, oh, that makes sense. You know, they're not in the office as much as their male colleagues. I mean, it absolutely doesn't make sense at all. Uh, And it's a reflection that clearly something in the system needs to change, not the women themselves. And so it's taken time, but you become very aware of those kinds of things happening now. And while that particular example, it would be rare to see, I would hope, I do think it is a lesson that has carried across to all sorts of different areas um, when I think about making sure that everyone equally feels able to achieve opportunities and we know that that's not the case and so I am always looking for those gaps and seeing where they can be filled. And that that essentially is is one of the core requirements of leadership and if we if we bring it into the context of the this podcast which is all about you know unleashing individual brilliance how can we possibly help other how can that possibly happen if if people are having to try and operate in a system that doesn't encourage that individuality right it it makes it increasingly challenging to become the best version of yourself absolutely and that's what diversity is all about and I'm a real advocate that I think inclusion is far more important so Mm. where inclusion is the strategy then diversity will follow in my view but um, that diversity of experience and the diversity um, that people bring through just everything that they contribute if we're not truly believing it and I think there are a lot of people who know the the words they need to say but the action Mm. doesn't necessarily follow I think for the leaders who really do get it, it's um, always a much more enjoyable place to be a part of and to mm-hmm. work in and the results end up speaking for themselves. Who's been the biggest influence in your your world, Kirsten? That's such a hard question because I treat all the people who inspire me like a bit of a buffet. I've always got a buffet of mentors. <laughs> I love that. Because, you know, there's some people, there's no one person other than my husband, obviously, and my family that um, inspire me in every single way. And so if I think about all of the mentors that I've had for the past 20, 30 years, and some, you know, many of them I still have, there's certain strengths that they each bring and I'll go and seek them out for their advice on those areas. But in other parts of their life, you know, I might not actually go and get their advice. And there's nothing wrong with that. So for me, I don't try to emulate any one person or I'm not inspired by any one person, but almost everyone I meet, um, you know, gives me something to learn from. And in fact, I was asked just the other day, you know, who some of my inspirations were and, I spoke about, it's all the unnamed people, it's the not famous people, the people who are just carrying on their lives every day, but they're all, you know, improving the lives of those around them for the better. And I think if we can all sort of um, follow in their footsteps and just do our bit, uh, the world will be a better place. Hmm. Yeah, I can agree more. I always find that question really challenging. I love the concept of a smorgasbord of people. It's like a sizzler buffet of mentors. (laughs) I love it. What an awesome place to be. Can you, you know, you talked about um, having that buffet of, of mentors and people that have inspired you. Is there, is there one piece of advice that you remember 
really listening to and taking action on it and the impact that it then subsequently made. Is there a couple of words of wisdom that you remember? And it's probably the advice I give most to those who now, you know, I'm um, humbled to to be asked my advice from. But it's about saying yes um, and ignoring that imposter syndrome and just saying yes to opportunities. And if I think of every single opportunity I've been offered, um, every single time my default thought is I couldn't possibly do that or why are they asking me? And now I'm much, much better at just ignoring that voice, knowing exactly what it is uh, and pushing it to one side and saying yes anyway. And I think that really is the advice. Um, And I remember a mentor saying to me, even when I was questioning you know, their confidence in me and them getting quite, you know, really pushing back and saying, you know, are you not prepared to trust me? I know what I'm saying. I know you're right for this. I know uh, you can do it. And you arguing with me about this, all that does is reflect that you don't trust my advice. And I think it was a bit of tough love, uh, but it worked really well because I thought, oh, you're right. You know, I am, uh, I am saying I don't trust you. And that wasn't the case. So I did trust them, said yes, and, you know, I've never looked back. And that's been my my plan and theory for a long time now. Where do you reckon? Because I reckon there'll be many people listening to this now going, yeah, yes, I know I should say yes, but it doesn't matter how hard I try, I still say no. Where do you think that imposter syndrome comes from? Because I, I literally go, why? So I've, um, I've got two boys and a daughter. My two eldest are at high school. Uh, they have this system in the school where they grade themselves on their effort and the teachers will mark their efforts and then the child marks their effort. And fascinating for me as somebody that is passionate about uh, inclusion and equality, my son, my 16-year-old son comes home and he's ranked himself off the chart in terms of the effort and awesomeness that he thinks he is performing and the teacher is way below my daughter who you know growing up in our house it's very equal uh total opposite so she absolutely has underestimated her her capability compared to what the teachers think and it 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 lent to a fabulous conversation around the dinner table and also with the teachers who have gone essentially what your mentor did with you trust us you know you need to say you're great at this stuff and I've been rattling my brains as where does it come from? Where on earth does it start? Yeah, I don't know. It reminds me of um, a personality test, you know, one of these strength tests I did at one of my employers once. And I remember um, these ingrained, and it reflected just my ingrained stereotypes around gender as well because I mentioned before I'd always tried to pretend I, I wasn't female at all. I just hoped no one noticed, you know. I just wanted to be known as a leader. And when I did this strengths test, it came back with what I perceived to be male strengths, like um, achiever, competitor, driven, you know, all of those kinds of strong attributes that I thought, oh, my God, my my um, cover has been blown. And it was ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. It's similar to what you're asking. I don't know where those you know, deeply ingrained views that you have in your own personality I think um, underestimating our abilities and not, you know, women not applying for jobs unless they think they've got 10 out of 10 of the attributes, et cetera, that has come from somewhere. I do think you can learn to overcome that, though. 
And yeah. the more you do it and the more you're successful at whatever it is you first thought you couldn't possibly do, it does give you that confidence to apply for anything. And yeah. that's something that I work on. And, you know, sometimes I'll think of some opportunity that, you know, I might go for it. it really, unre- it's totally unrealistic, but I'll still think about it and think, well, could I do it? Would I do it? And how would I do it? And I'm, I would like to think now that saying yes has absolutely led me to have an incredibly full career and rewarding career and given me opportunities that I would never have otherwise um, Mm. even thought could be possible. So I I know that people listening will be thinking, yeah, that's all fine, but I still can't do it. (laughs) Uh, You really, the only person who can change that is you and you really just need to acknowledge that voice and just decide to say yes anyway and see what happens. What's the worst that can happen? You know, there'd be nothing to tell you that you're going to fail or that it's going to go dreadfully wrong. Um, And it may well just open up another door you didn't even know was there. Who do you, because I'm imagining, I think you mentioned a few minutes ago, the amount of people that uh, you're gifted to share your advice and your learnings with. Have you, is there anyone that springs to mind of someone that you've yourself mentored or spoken to where you've been able to unlock their their brilliance and then watched how they've flown yeah I mean that's the whole part of being a leader that I love the most um so I I mean there's countless well it sounds um see even then I can I think women do this the most you catch yourself almost bragging and that's not what I wanted and I feel apologetic now which is ridiculous so I'm catching myself um as a leader obviously your goal should be to be unleashing that brilliance in everyone that works for you and so I can think of countless people that I've had those conversations with and that I've watched over my career just bloom. And that is the whole reason leaders exist. So I think um, as a leader, you should be trying in every single interaction with the people that you lead to be self-aware yourself, to know what you can say in that moment that is going to lead that person down a path to unleashing their brilliance. Because not only is it wonderful for that person, but obviously for your team, you've then got people who are all equally flourishing and wanting to do their best. And I mean, that just really gets me excited as a leader. And it doesn't matter what you're leading for. It doesn't matter what you're selling or producing or advising or whatever it is. Your role is to really get everyone who's in your team and have them all feeling that they've got that freedom to unleash and be as brilliant as they can be. And talking about unleashing brilliance, your Celebrating Women campaign that uh, was nominated for a Walkley Award uh, back in 2017, can you tell me a little bit more about where that came from? Yeah, well, that was the most unexpected thing. And, you know, we talk about um, saying yes to opportunities I guess this was a classic example, but I didn't even sort of say yes. I didn't even have that discussion with myself. I kind of just said enough's enough. And it came about because, you know, I love using social media and if you're online, you can't help but notice the amount of online denigration women face. And on a particular day, I saw a thread of tweets aimed at an ABC journalist, actually, um, Patricia Carvelis, and I can't even remember what the tweet said, but they were really abusive and they were just like, what you see often and I just remember thinking enough's enough and I wanted to find a way to see if I could make my news feed just that bit more positive even a small way 
And I rang who we often ring when we've got a harebrained idea. And I called that afternoon, called my mum, and I asked her four questions off the top of my head and asked her to send me some photos. And I shared her answers and photos on Twitter. And I didn't tell anyone she was my mum. And she's mm. not extraordinary. It sounds terrible. But, you know, she's just had an interesting life. She's been a nurse. She's retired now. But she's had the ups and downs like everyone in life does. And so I shared her story and I noticed, you know, people enjoyed reading about her and what she had to say. And so never one to do things by halves. I made a very bold public commitment that next morning that I was going to see if I could try and celebrate two women from all walks of life and from anywhere in the world every single day of that year. And I had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself in for and I had no idea how big it would get. And by the end of that year, I had celebrated 757 women from 37 countries and it was easily the most rewarding year of my career. Mm. And people, these are people that you knew or that were introduced to you? The first couple um, I knew because I had to ask someone to help me (laughs) to be the next day. Uh, But after that, it was all word of mouth. And there was absolutely no qualifying criteria to be involved. So you just needed to identify as a woman. And I certainly celebrated transgender women as well. Mm. And it was just there was no barriers to entry. There was nothing other than celebrating women for who they were. You didn't put your position title or anything. Um, I only introduced people by their first name. And so while there were some really well-known high-profile women, the vast majority were just ordinary women doing amazing things in their usual lives and they were our sisters and neighbours and work colleagues And I think it was making role, I'd always believe that every woman was a role, is a role model. And um, what the campaign did was make those role models visible. And every woman's story was just inspiring and um, led to an outpouring of support from around the world. And so what began as sort of a way to make my newsfeed a bit more positive actually morphed into a real movement of women supporting women and it was just extraordinary and it's led to spin-off campaigns around the world and in different industries and things and and to a book that I wrote with Catherine Fox called uh, Womankind and this is what I mean about saying yes to opportunities this wasn't one where I remember you know saying this is what I'm going to do and this is how it's going to work out and in fact I think if I'd strategized what I wanted to achieve I would never have done it because I would have thought oh my goodness that's bigger than I was expecting but um, the fact that I was prepared to do anything at all um, Mm. and be prepared to just let it go where it went and it was very organic there was no ulterior motive you know there was no gain in it for me I just genuinely wanted to celebrate these women Um, it opened up an enormous number of doors and I think anyone can do that sort of thing it's um, mm. it's, you don't need to be anyone in particular to have done what I've done with that so obviously this the, we're interviewing talking now in March International Women's Day what's your wish for the future um well I do wish we all um, move past coronavirus. Yeah, I, totally <laughs> issues. I know we're talking about gender, but that seems to be top of mind at the moment because it's everywhere you look. Um, but it's interesting. It does also sort of help me answer that question because 
what we're seeing is how uncertainty and change can drive such fear in people and what that does to our social structures and our communities. And that can be a little bit terrifying and cause anxiety observing that even more than thinking about things like the virus. And I think as leaders, and I do think everyone is a leader, whatever your business card Mm. might say, we all lead our families or our communities or our workplaces, whatever it might be. We all have a role to play in calmly working through challenges as they face us and in looking for the opportunities, um, you know, from these kinds of difficult times. So I guess my hope for the future um, is for us all to recognise that responsibility we have. And I think sometimes it's wishful thinking, but I, I do believe in the power of the shared human collective to really um, create a better world for ourselves. And I'm excited to be part of that. And for for you, Kirsten, what's um what what's on the agenda for you? What's next for you? Ah, oh, well, so I have a really busy career anyway. Um, so I sit on lots of boards, and yeah. I love doing um, my board work, and that really exercises my brain and my technical knowledge, and um, you know, leadership in a different way because you're leading through influence. And so that certainly keeps me busy. Um, I do a lot of public speaking, as I know you do too, and that is so much fun because you just meet so many new people. And mm. I've discovered I love the craft of writing a speech, writing a new speech or thinking about, you know, what I think people will be interested to hear. So that's always fantastic. I'm working on another book um, and I do a lot on social media and um you know, connecting with different people and different initiatives through that. So between all of those things, I have a very full life. Uh, But my most exciting news is that I've just become um, an empty nester, or my husband and I have. And um, it's funny, people don't talk about this period nearly enough. And, you know, I love being a mum. I've got two beautiful daughters that I'm so proud of who are 20 and 18. Uh, but they're now both at college, interstate, um, studying at uni and loving it. And my husband and I are just absolutely <laughs> loving life. So for all those who are in the trenches with young children, um, let me promise you there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And it's fantastic. <laughs> we had our first, I mean, my, my children are all still at home, but we did have Saturday night suddenly there was nobody else in but us two myself and Jason my husband and we looked at each other and went, oh my gosh yeah. <laughs> what do we do now <laughs> I know I know uh, it's look it's wonderful so um, right now it's only been a few weeks but right now we are just uh, really loving life and I think the biggest thing for a working mother, or for any working parent is that mental load of remembering yeah. the school notes and you know, school drop-offs and pickups and sports practices and head oh, yeah. checks and just all <laughs> that crap that comes with being a parent, God bless them. Um, I can assure you, your brain just emits it immediately. And um, I, I'm loving that. <laughs> so it's fabulous. Uh, at the moment, I feel like my side hustle is a Uber driver, a mummy yeah. Uber driver. Um, I, I lose track of where I'm supposed to be oh, most days. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, hang in there because I promise you it gets better. <laughs> Thank you. I hope I've still got the energy at the end of it. Um, now, in the just to sort of to, to wrap this conversation up, you did touch on this a bit earlier, but in this context of 
uh, Unleashing Brilliance um, for our lead our listeners that are around the world. Um, being having been somebody that's um, achieved a level of seniority in the defense force, uh, you've worked in a law firm, you've been CEO, and now you're sitting as a um, on loads of boards. Um, what what would be your I don't know three key wishes? Uh, suggestions, thought processes, bubbles that you would share with people in terms of helping them unlock what is in them in terms of their capacity and their belief? Oh, that's a big question. Um, All right, number one, seek feedback. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was CEO of a group of psychologists for a number of years and um, we had a true feedback culture because they were very good at, you know, talking about how they were feeling about decisions and things and giving you feedback as a leader. And as difficult as it might be, it is the most valuable thing you can learn is how to truly seek feedback, hear it, appreciate it um, and learn from it. And so feedback is number one for me and I crave, I, you know, without, I think you need to learn to crave it without being too needy. You know what I mean? That's another conversation. But really seeking feedback is important. Um, the second one would definitely about unleashing your brilliance is this saying yes to opportunities. And I think we've exhausted that. Ignore, kick that imposter syndrome to the curb. Ignore yeah. it. It's going to be there unless you're superhuman. We all have it. Um, try and get bored with it. You know, I just literally hear it and go, yeah, yeah. I've heard all that before. Move on. And, you know, that year I was celebrating women, virtually every woman who considered coming and being part of it would initially say to me, oh, I've done nothing worth celebrating. And I got so um, sick of hearing that. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But now here's the form, just fill it in. And they would do it. And then not one woman regretted it and, um, you know, had an amazing experience. So just kick that to the curb. And I think the third is really appreciate the the power of the shared collective so whether that's of women or of people you work with or of people who have got similar interests in social justice or whatever it might be joining together with others and having that shared voice um, is incredibly powerful and I think find ways you can use that for good whenever you can. Kirsten it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you today thank you for Uh, sharing so openly your journey and learnings and lessons Um, I can't wait to meet you in person and um, yeah my last my very last question for you you know we often talk about what we want to be when we grow up (laughs) and the job we want to be doing and we we talk in those black and white facts and figures my question to you is um, what do you want to be remembered for? Um, Doing my best so I just, whatever the, your best is, is different to everyone. And I just want to know that I've had a go and um, I've really done my best at whatever I can. And that doesn't mean being the best. It just means you're doing the best you can do. And I think if I can get through life, having done that, I'll be pretty happy. Thank you so much, Kirsten. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.